Welcome to Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit, the podcast that dissects who framed Roger Rabbit one minute at a time, with special guest Scott Carelli. Hey everyone, welcome back to Who Analyzed Roger Rabbits. I am always Chris Blair, and uh, I suppose so far I've always been, and we've got, as always, Annie McMullen. Hello everybody! And we have back, joining us again for the last time this week, the god of Movie by Minutes podcast, Scott Corelli. Okay. Hi. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> so, Scott, having done another Zemeckis movie, is there any parallels you've noticed so far? Anything that just really jumps out at you from looking at Back to the Future so closely and looking at um, Minutes of Roger Rabbit? Uh, I mean, definitely the tightness of the script um, and the, you know, attention to detail when it comes to the uh, time period. Uh, but also the way that the shots are composed which is a super technical thing but like you know uh Zemeckis has does this thing where he doesn't like to cut a lot except in action sequences because he likes the actors to bring all the energy to a scene and you definitely um feel a lot of that with his uh shot compositions um in this it's like you know in the first minute this week with Eddie sort of like walking around you never really cut. You just sort of moved the camera around and followed Eddie as he walked, you know, and you let you let him do all the heavy lifting. And, um, you know, the same thing with the uh, the trolley car, you know, like he, he gets shut out and then he like makes a big show about hopping on the back of the, the tram and then he's on the back of the tram and then he's talking to the kids and then you finally cut when he uh when the when the tram makes it across town so yeah you know he likes his long shots that are that are um sort of like secret long shots where he doesn't make a big show about it like the way uh you know birdman or like you know an alfonso Cuaron or something will be like look at this this shot is like 14 minutes long isn't it amazing um zemeckis is just like yeah i mean this you know i just do a bunch of like six minute shots and i just don't tell anyone i mean you just don't notice yeah yeah and i think that also speaks to the tightness of the script too Mm -hmm. that like you could just sit back and be like okay we're just going to to make this as is which also like there's a lot of talk about this movie like one of the first things people always bring up is like how tough it must have been for all the actors to have worked with these characters who weren't there but what i hear talk about way less is how hard it must have been to direct this movie where you aren't going to actually have your actors on the screen like while while they're acting well and and not even know if it's going to work you know like i mean they invented this technology like he this has never really been done before outside of you know like minor sequences and like mary poppins and things like that so you know but this kind of thing where they're like interacting and talking to a character that isn't there i mean no one had ever done this before and certainly not like pick them up by their throat and like shook them around you know like that that kind of thing had never been done before so i you know he had no idea if it was even going to work um so yeah i imagine the pressure was high because everyone just had to trust that zemeckis knew enough about what he was doing that it was gonna you know all shake out in the end they had to have like a lot of faith um because yeah if this was bad it would have been like 
bad. You would you would have to develop like a completely new vocabulary for how to coach the actors, you know, like yeah. because because you you are describing um, you know there's this thing in mindfulness, right? Like where like describe how you sit down in a chair. Like it's like impossible because you don't think about it, right? Like it's all just muscle memory and like what are the steps to sitting down in a chair? And you're like, I actually don't know. I have to do it and try it and think about it. And, yeah. Um, you know, so like being able to, you know, describe or say, coach like Bob Hoskins and be like, you know, I'm just really not uh, seeing the like tension in your forearm when you're <laughs> when you're throttling that tune or like, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Right. Like it's not like those are skills that you would use in d- directing a normal live action movie so yeah i can't i can't imagine what the the like learning curve on that must have been it must have been crazy they say that one of the best things that the reason that the movie even works at all is bob hoskins and the fact that like they would he would always pick a fixed point that were the eyes of the tune and he would hit it right on every single take exactly where it needed to be so that there was never like a moment where he wandered his eye and then they had to animate to compensate for like the fact that his eye changed, you know, like you watch something like um, chamber of secrets and poor Daniel Radcliffe poor poor like 11 year old Daniel Radcliffe, like, you know, he's just not making eye contact with Dobby uh, because he has no idea what he's doing. And, you know, it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. And, and I guess Bob Hoskins like basically invented it. I mean, you know, invented how you're supposed to interact with things that aren't there. He, yeah. he, we've, we've talked a little bit about like some of his facial expressions and stuff, but just his physicality in general, like his ability to physically embody an emotion or a situation or, you know, Eddie Valiant sure. <laughs> is just, is incredible. It's mind blowing. You know, I, I feel like we don't see, um, we don't see as much of that anymore. You know, people are really focused on like an accent or I don't know. And he makes every second he is making some very clear physical choice uh that is so interesting it's really well also having to watch. all this accent uh, yeah. right yeah dude is british <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he like and you never think about that when watching the movie like it's it, like you never think oh Bob Hoskins is acting so well with a cartoon character. The fact that you're so sucked into this and don't think about the fact that he's acting with a cartoon character is a pretty mm-hmm. big testament to to his ability. And yeah. same with Zemeckis's like ability to direct this is the fact that like like when when somebody interacts with a cartoon character when they're both holding the same the same object or interacting with something together, it's never a thing where like it's like wow this is so amazing you your mind just buys into the fact that this is real, which I guess is the, the curse of doing such a good job is, is it looks less impressive. Right. Right. Um, I'm glad we're talking about all of this in a, in a minute with zero cartoon characters. (laughs) (laughs) As far as we know, I mean, (laughs) judge doom, actual tune, any of these other characters could actually be a tune hiding inside them and posing as a, as a real person. That's true. We are going to be looking at minute 12 this week. Minute 12 begins with a mailman giving Eddie mail and ed- ends with him saying, may they all get lead poisoning. This, I, I feel the first part of this minute is just all continually to pile, pile on the fact that Eddie is kind of a deadbeat. He 
uh, throws his bills away <laughs> at the sight of liquor. <laughs> yeah. why, would I, why would I spend my money on bills when I could buy booze? He does. He does the signature Eddie Valiant lip smack at the very oh, yeah. thought of a drink. The like, yeah. Thing that he does. This yeah. guy. This guy loves liquor. Yeah, yeah. They they do not mess around with showing how much Eddie loves liquor. Like they're like. It, have you forgot this guy's an alcoholic? Because we're going to have him drink again. Yeah. But he's like a cartoonish alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> like licking his lips and just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you can almost see his eyes just bugging out of his head when he sees uh, when he sees the bar. It's um, his own shaven haircut. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, that's deep. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. We, have, we have talked about, right, like... Um, there is this big deal made about how Eddie hates tunes, even up to this point, he's, there's been several references to that. Um, but that at the same time, Eddie has some very like common uh, features with the tunes. Like he, his proportions are weird on his, on his clothes. He, um, he is a bit of an outcast where we've established that tunes also are kind of second class citizens. So like, yeah, him having some weird, uh, tune-like compulsions, I think, fits in with like, hey, Eddie, maybe you shouldn't hate those tunes. You guys have a lot in common thing that's happening. Well, you know what's funny is like th- this movie uh, does a really good job of hiding what it really is um, in the fact that like it's tunes, it's cartoons that he hates. But like this is literally uh, the like one of those movies that everybody like makes fun of now where it's like oh it's the racist who turns into a good guy at the end <laughs> of the movie i mean like that's what this movie is like yeah. yeah oh yeah it definitely is like yeah eddie is a very flawed character and like i mean they they explain away why he uh hates tunes but still he is very mean to them well, yeah. and it, but they don't really. I mean, that's literally being like, well, like a black guy killed my brother and now I hate all black people. Like, yeah. that's not yeah. okay. Like, that is not okay. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. It, <laughs> maybe we should look at Eddie with a little more scrutiny as this, as this goes on. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's definitely like the real enemies were the power structures that kept us both down all along at yeah. the end. Yeah. <laughs> he's an anti-hero, right? Like he's oh, he's no. they're not making him out to be a great guy yet. We do we do see right when he looks across to the bar, we see the clover leaf sign again, the new clover leaf sign that's being hung. And like it's interesting how you know, you can tell it's from 1947 or whatever, but how like modern it looks and in contrast to the rest of it. So it's like, uh, it's very much like this visual, uh, you know, reference to like progress, air mm-hmm. quotes, um, that, and, and it's pretty, it's pretty stark. The color scheme is totally different and it looks like it's supposed to be new and fancy. Definitely is eye-catching. They, they, uh, they feature it really prominently. We have Eddie go into a bar and he sees um, he sees someone passed out. Um, Learn is named Earl. Um, he puts his hat on his head so we know Eddie knows him. Yeah. Yeah, again, kind of like a moment of showing Eddie's softer side here. The fact that uh, he does care about uh, some of his friends. This is also the... Uh, 
you know, I'm sure it's probably pretty simple. However, they did this, but they make the whole bar rumble and shake because it's, you know, it's above the train terminal. Um, and that's always like a, a neat thing to me. Like um, one, it's like, oh, this is not a, this is not a fine establishment. It shakes <laughs> constantly. Uh, but two, it's just like, it's a, you know, couldn't have been super easy to pull off and, but uh, adds so much to the sort of texture of the scene. Yeah. Do we ever get an explanation as to why this guy doesn't talk, why he has to like write? Oh, what he so in, in the screenplay, uh, it's confirmed that he is deaf. There's an actual, uh, some, del- some cutout scenes, I don't think they're actually filmed, where he's, Eddie's following around R.K. Maroon, and um, this character, Augie, he has him read his lips while he's on a phone call. Oh. A little yeah. more featured in the plot. In the, in the context of the movie that we get, though, I think he's a tune and he's not talking because he has a cartoon voice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he can't give it away. He can get rid of everything, be human, but just the voice. It's like total Daffy Duck when he talks. I mean, yeah. that, you know, the actual screenplay, I don't think contradicts that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, but I think I it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, these are, are bit parts, are really small parts in the movie. And I... I just love that they're so fleshed out, you know, like they have clear identities, like visually and even just in their very few lines. Um, I don't think we see that that often anymore. I think they want, you know, these smaller parts to kind of fade into the the background. Um, and it's nice that like they have really, you know, the other guy is clearly like a veteran or, you know, a uh, he's in the military because he's got his military outfit on. So I don't know if he's active duty or not, but you know, everybody has like, you can tell immediately why they're hanging out in this CD bar. Right. We've yeah. got the, the guy who, um, you know, can't communicate. Normally we have the guy who's uh, passed out on the table. We've got the, you know, the hardened by war <laughs> dude. Um, and that all comes out in the course of like 20 seconds. Right. Well, I, I, I actually think it's this weird side effect of, uh, of a few things, but um, I think that in general, I think they try to keep the amount of like talking characters down in most movies because it keeps the budget down um, and because they need to reroute a lot of that money to like CGI on stuff that they would never use CGI on before, like just like backgrounds you know like stuff that you don't even notice is cgi in a movie sometimes it's cgi um and then you also have like these gigantic crowd shots which like i don't know why you can't just do that cgi um but uh they will hire these huge crowds of of extras for these for these big crowd shots and so what you end up with with like characters like this is you end up with this thing called a featured extra which is like a character where like the main characters will talk to this person and they will say nothing or just nod or like shake their head or that's it. And then they're gone and they're never seen again. And they are, because they have no speaking, no words are spoken. They don't have to be paid um, scale. And so that keeps the budget down. And like, you'll see these people like constantly and stuff, especially like TV shows, with, like a low budget, like the main characters will, like walk into a store and they'll be like saying all these things at someone and the person will just stand there. Like, 
you know, like just saying nothing and barely reacting. And they're like, ah, whatever. And then they'll leave. And you're like, well, that was a featured extra. They got paid like $200 to do that, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's crazy. Like once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's everywhere. Featured extras, man. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, these would all be featured extras in a movie today. These would not be uh, characters with speaking lines. And it's well, so much better that they're not, you know, yeah. like it's so visibly better that they are real fleshed out people. Right. But do you think that they could get away with paying Augie less money since his character does not actually talk at all? Like, do you get paid the same amount for writing a line? Uh, yeah, because he has an action. So the action is acting. Um, and so, like, what a featured extra does is, like, if, it's, if they don't have an action, like, if their action is literally to turn around and just look at the other character, they are a featured extra. Um, so that counts for things like waiters, like just like setting food down on the table and things like that. Um, but this, this is an inner, like an acting interaction. And so like, that means that he is an actor and not a featured extra. Um, it's very specific. And sometimes they try to get away with stuff, uh, in, in not paying a person, but, um, yeah, uh, featured extras, man. You know how we could solve this? Hmm. Just like stop paying Chris Pratt so much. <laughs> it's a hill I'll it's, die on. Uh, yeah, there's well, a solution. I mean, just stop casting him in things. Um, I mean, there we go. Problem solved. Like Bob, the, like Bob the Hoskins first... didn't make that much money, right? And he's yeah. amazing. Oh yeah. no way! As soon as that third Guardians movie is out, like just stop casting him in things. Just oh, it's they're... fine. <laughs> the world somebody... has had their fill. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just got really depressed because I realized if this movie was remade, it would Eddie Valiant would be played by Chris Pratt. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, we we had this discussion has come up before and we realized he would play not only Eddie, but voice Roger. Oh, voice yeah. Roger. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Dude, he I just, I and got, Jack my, Black my soul be, hurts now. Jack Black would be baby Herman. Yeah. And it would well, be also bad. No. Not bad. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. He should be Eddie Valiant though. <laughs> Um, that would be an interesting choice. I think <laughs> he could play a good Eddie Valiant. Yeah, we. I have... would. Re- I would recast the ghost of Bob Hoskins because <sighs> no one can do this. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, I can't think of any other actor that I would rather have in that part, unless it's just a ridiculous decision. Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> that, that might be good. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm trying to think of like who could actually do it, and he it's would not, have to, he, not very many people. He's method, so he would just walk around acting like he saw tunes everywhere. Uh, <laughs> Asking children for cigarettes. Yeah. yeah. He would just have to live at in Toontown at Disneyland for about yeah. two years before he starts filming. <laughs> What's Daniel D. Lewis doing here? He's training for <laughs> Why is he drinking whiskey under the teacups? You know, we did we we did end up with a missed opportunity that uh, he he was never in a Muppet movie. Um Bob Hoskins. Mm. I honestly, you could have, you, he's the only person I can think of that could have replaced Michael Caine in A Christmas Carol. And I would have been like, yeah, Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. that would have been great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you can replace Bob Hoskins with anyone from any movie and it's going to be probably better. Yeah, probably. Oh my God. I just realized that both Bob Hoskins and Chris Pratt have played Mario. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> No! <laughs> we're living in the worst timeline yeah <laughs> but we've had the discussion before where like um i read an interesting art- article i have to dig it 
up a while back that talked about how we've like stopped using real voice actors Mm -hmm. and started to just use celebrities for everything and watching this movie now in this time frame, it, you can, you can tell like what a massive difference real voice actors make, you know, yeah. like I can always hear, I'm like, I know exactly which celebrity that is. Cause they're so bad at changing their voice from anything other than their own voice. Cause that's not what they do, you know? And uh, it's just, it's sad that, cause there's so much art that we've lost. Yeah. In yeah. That, that Marvel, that, that Marvel, what if show was, a uh, particularly rough watch from a voice acting uh, standpoint, because um, you know, with a few exceptions, it was pretty stale. Uh, yeah, because they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> so, Scott, that's interesting because you're you're you know have a lot of expertise in this space. Like, what what is it that we're missing? What is it that the people who professionally do cartoon voices and voice actor work can do that like we don't get when we are just casting people where that's not their you know well i think the biggest thing is that um you know most people don't know how to act with their voice because they don't have to um they act with their body and their face and that's what they're used to doing and so they do that in the booth they act like they always do but then when you listen to it back it sounds like they're not acting because all of the acting is in their face and their body and it's not coming through their voice. Um, Acting through your voice is a very different muscle um, that you have to work through because you also need to like know about tone and know like, okay, this is the kind of show where my voice needs to be at an 11 because it's that kind of show. This is a little bit more subtler. So it needs to be down closer to like a seven or an eight. But like, you never want to have your voice in like a three to four range. And I feel like that's where most screen actors end up um, in their, in their voice acting because they don't know what they're doing. Um, And because they're famous, they don't put a voice director on the project who is comfortable telling them that they're not doing it right. (laughs) Because they're like, well, yeah, of course I'm an actor. I got paid $20 million to be in this. Of course I'm doing it right. right. Um, but really they just want to be paid $20 million to like walk into a studio in their pajamas, record for a couple hours and then go back to their lives. Um, and that's, that's reality, but yeah, yeah it's unfortunate. I it's also Robin think- Williams, Robin Williams and the way that Disney did all of that with Robin Williams playing genie. That's yeah. what ruined it. That that's what the article the says. Yeah. yeah. It that talks was- about that. And and Robin Williams was probably uniquely good at voice acting for an actor. Yeah. Like, like, okay, fine. We'll make a carve out for Robin Williams, but it ends here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But they marketed it on Robin Williams and it got butts and seats and they're like, oh, we can just have a trailer for anything. And then at the end, just credits, 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 credits. Look at all these people in this movie. And it's like, yeah, but I don't, you're not going to recognize any of them. Like what? I don't know. It's I think what makes that doubly bad is like because they have done all the marketing and banking on the star power of that person, it's it disincentivizes them from changing their voice more because they want it to be recognizable, right? right? Like if you can't recognize that that's Chris Pratt's voice as Garfield, then what's the point of casting Chris Pratt? And we're like, yeah, see, there's the point. You are almost getting it. Yeah, (laughs) you're almost there. You're on the cusp. Do you think of any modern 
examples where they have gone back to like real voice actors? I can't, I can't really. No, not in a not in a movie. I, I mean, even in those um like like DC comics like direct to video animated movies they're pulling actors from TV shows, like from TV series. You get like some guy from NCIS playing Batman. And it's like, <laughs> who cares <laughs> about this? Like, like just get that what David Caruso? What doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they use voice actors as um, leverage to like, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to cast this really good voice actor. And then they're like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And they're like, ah, good. Release the voice actor. We don't need them. We want the famous person. It's unfortunate. It is now time for everyone's favorite segment of the show. Of course, I'm talking about Friday with Nish. It's Friday with Nish. Ooh, what a dish. Tell your mother. Tell your shrink. Tell us, Nish, what do you think? Yeah. Friday with Nish is where our friend Nish gives us a call and we find out what he thinks about these next three minutes of the movie. Let's get him on the phone. How are you doing, Nish? Um, doing great. It's, oh, cool. uh, yeah. All right, good to hear. You watched minutes 10 through 12 of yeah. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, so last time you were kind of left off, um, you were getting the impression that Eddie is probably a, a good guy, but you know, um, anyone could be framing Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Eddie is the, um, is he the private eye? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, a, private he's eye. a good guy. He's a good guy. I think I stand by that. Yeah. Wait, I, where I are you getting the... that vibe from, Nish? I want to, what are your clues that Eddie's a good guy? Um, I just think like, uh, yeah, so like these 10 minutes uh, or 10 to 12 minutes, 10, 11, and 12, he's, uh, we see like a little bit more of him, um, than before, uh, and, uh, he's a little bit down, you know, he's not doing so well, looks like financially. Mm. And so, um, but he seems like pretty chill, like, you know, he's bumming cigarettes off kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to giving children cigarettes, uh, you know, he's taking, uh, it's, uh, he's doing the right thing there. Um, yeah. I think that's good. <laughs> you mean uh, the right thing is in taking cigarettes away from kids, yeah. essentially? I mean, okay. all the kids are better off with having less cigarettes at the <laughs> So, and he took one from each of those three kids. <laughs> His last name is Valiant. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good last name. <laughs> um, so, we, we, any thoughts, any particular thoughts of what happens in any of the minutes? Yeah, I do. This movie is um, now it's like twelve minutes, and I think there's uh, always a lot of information coming on every three minutes. I think, and I think this is like, but it's still early in a movie. Like when you think about twelve minutes, I think so. I think there's still more setup happening for bigger things to happen um, throughout the rest of the movie. Um, so Roger Rabbit was not, of course, in these three minutes at all in conversation, but it seemed like I get a sense that 
there is a little bit of a commentary also happening in these three minutes. You know, uh, he's uh, he's taking he's like uh, on on the tram. Uh, he's uh, going through the kids, ask him like if he doesn't have a car, and I think he says like, "Oh, why do we need a car? We have the best transportation system." And I think this is where um, maybe I'm historically. I'm wrong from a historical perspective. I think LA did have a good public transport system at some point and corporate America ruined it. And I think there is some commentary potentially happening in those three minutes um, because we see that he goes into a bar towards end and this guy's been laid off who's getting drunk um, and by a by a company that's taken over the tram business and is laying people off uh, probably yeah so i think uh i think ford motors probably paid <laughs> off <laughs> all the uh you know uh, acquired all the public transport and laid people off uh yeah i mean there's there's um definitely seems like there's some commentary on that so far so yeah, we, we haven't gotten too much further to finding the answers to the questions, the burning questions. Who who do you think framed Roger Rabbit? Who do you think? Any any other speculations? Um, I'm now I'm against. I think it's that uh, company. Something to do with that company, Clover Clover Leaf, that's mm-hmm. taken over. Maybe there is some something going on there, which is bigger bigger than a production of a movie. This maybe I'm and, just a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I think the questions were also like, "What do you think they framed him for, and why?" Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. what what do you think? What do you think Roger got framed for? Yeah, we were. I was thinking there was a little bit of a angle last time that he will get framed by uh, by the by the partner. Uh, uh, and, or the or wife, I think, uh, and um, would be some money-oriented thing. Why he's getting framed? I think money is still in play. I think it's the motives are here still financial. So I stick with that. Uh, what is he gonna get framed for? Is I um, I don't know. I mean, it's. Um, I guess like someone's death. I still think like he's gonna get framed for someone that. Uh, but now who's gonna do it? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe it is still the wife, and she's in in uh, uh, in partnership with some some bad person from corporate America. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to have a conspiracy here, like that. Jessica, so you you think that uh, it's Rogers, Rogers Rabbit wife, right? Yeah, I still think because I think there could be a lover who's like also part of like you know some big thing that's going on in LA around that time, and uh, uh, yeah. What kind of lover do you think she has? What kind? I don't know, like what? Why? Think, why yeah, this guy? A, why is she yeah. cheating on Roger with this guy? What's well, what's he got? Yeah, I mean, he could have a 
what do you Raj is kind of a good call now. <laughs> yeah, he's, he he's could be like nice. the opposite of that, like you know. I think he just has better overalls. Yeah, he might be just better put together. <laughs> My uh, might look might fit in better and maybe like you know, in a maybe you know in a uh, in a nice cocktail lounge. Maybe he fits in better with a with a suit and a tie <laughs> than uh, Roger is. Uh, he's just you know. slipping on a banana peel somewhere you know <laughs> are we all in our own ways <laughs> are you imagining like a, a like a rabbit in a in a tuxedo um oh yeah like how do tunes date like are rabbits can only date rabbits or they just date other tunes Oh, Did you guys see what the, how I'm using tunes as in car- opposite of cartoons because I'm picking up the lingo from the movie. <laughs> You've come so far in 12 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Is it a I don't I don't know it's a I I think it should be to me it seems should be any any kind of cartoon. Um and so uh if it's not a rabbit cartoon then what would it be what kind of cartoon would fit in a horse uh, yeah uh, mm-hmm. a horse that's yeah. uh, you know i think so i think i mean horses are they're like muscular animals like they're pretty you know yeah mm-hmm. would look good in a suit <laughs> yeah they're like gym rats <laughs> but not rats but horses but like they're like start calling people gym horses these <laughs> are real gym like horses they were like they got the they got the leanness and they got the they the got sinewy. the sinewy yeah what a vast they're uh, they have good vascular chair vasculature that's is that that's the thing that the that the, the it's really a people. thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> vascularity yeah the, 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 the muscle people are after Is that the thing like cardio? Is it the second part of cardiovascular, like which is? Yeah, I just cardio mean, like, is hard, and the rest of it that's going on is the vascular part. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's like when uh, the bodybuilders try and get the vein, the veininess. Oh, the pump is that's an interesting. Um, I don't know why they want that. I haven't figured out what the. They they are rated higher for that on the yeah, when you go in a competition. Yeah, they're just rated. I think it's just a rating, and nobody's nobody's beating a horse. Yeah, on that. <laughs> yeah. So Nish's prediction for this movie: Jessica Rabbit is into veiny horses. <laughs> yeah. Um, Who look good in the suit? Yeah, <laughs> good yeah, in the suit. Yeah. Veiny <laughs> James Bond horses. Yeah. Oh yeah, he go. Yeah, it's like James Bondy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> evil. This person is not not a good good horse. <laughs> um, Not a good horse. I um want to make one more prediction. Okay, sure. Like, unasked for, un- un- unsolicited prediction. <laughs> Nish, you have an open solicit solicitation okay. for predictions. There are no <laughs> predictions a- are banned. Yeah, I think something good will happen to Eddie. Like okay, like I think uh, you know he's. Uh, I think he's all about like. throwing the bills away into trash and you know going for the next whiskey i think maybe 
he will have a little bit more economic benefit at the end of it. And he might be like, you know what? Uh, maybe he might still continue to drink, but I mean, moderation. <laughs> <laughs> one last question from me. Eddie like, seems to have a real disdain for tunes. Why do you think he hates oh. them so much? He does hate them because the first minute of the minute 10 to 11, which is minute number 10, he's just looking around tunes in just disgust. Mm-hmm. And they're not yeah. even doing anything. They're just hanging out. <laughs> like, no one's breaking, uh, breaking stuff or anything. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that is, um, that's interesting. Maybe they're all, s- well, we've only seen tunes in the Hollywood area right now in this movie. So maybe he has the disgust of uh, how a common person has disgust of um, just Hollywood types, you know, like they're just hanging out, acting and, you know, just chilling around, uh, going to a spa or or anything, but not actually making trains happen. <laughs> they're not they're not the uh, the salt of the earth people who make yeah, that America in- runs on. <laughs> Yeah, which is maybe that's what's going on in his mind that they're all just celebrities in yeah, could be. Um but then that doesn't explain the the horse in a suit. But <laughs> <laughs> also linked to clover leaf. I'm not gonna be a good script writer, is what I'm thinking. I think you're gonna be a great script. <laughs> So, Nish, thanks so much for joining us for these minutes. Uh, Nish, I will give you a call soon because I can't wait to hear about your thoughts for the rest of the movie. Sounds good. Thanks, uh, Nish. All right. All right. Cool. Thanks, Bye. Nish. Thank you. Good. Uh, so this minute ends with Eddie doing a salute to the pencil pushers. May they all get lead poisoning. Well, I think we, we cut out right before he finishes his quote. He just says, pencil pushers. Any last thoughts for this minute? No. It's a good looking set. Like Annie was saying. Yeah. Yeah. It is a gorgeous just set. We spend a lot of time in here. In the yeah. Movie, so. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be back for lots of minutes later on. Yeah. So, Scott, is there anything in particular you would like to plug? Um, oh man. Uh, yeah. So check out, um, you know, I, I'm retired from movies by minute podcasting. I did, uh, nine seasons of movies by minute shows. How many hours of your life do you think you've spent talking about movies minute by minute? I don't want to talk about, it. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's over, it's over a thousand episodes. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a lot. Um, Anyway, yeah, so I did those three things. So if you want to hear those, I've done Back to the Future Minute, Spider-Man Minute, which was about the Sam Raimi trilogy of films, the Sam Raimi Tobey Maguire trilogy, and uh, the Cornetto Minute, which was about uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End, the Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost trilogy of films. Um, So yeah, that's nine seasons of Movies by Minute shows. If you uh, want to hear more of me talking about movies in this format, if you want to hear me talk about movies each week then check out uh nick and i uh, my my back to the future minute co-host and i we started a podcast called franchiseography which is a podcast about uh film franchises and uh we we sort of like break down the development of the film franchise um a movie by movie and uh and talk about 
how each film got made, why certain decisions were made. We do a lot of research and, and things and, and put a lot into that show. Um, in the past, we have covered the Men in Black franchise, uh, the Scream franchise. We did all of the X-Men films last summer. Um, and now we, we've done Spy Kids. Um, and, uh, and now, uh, right now we're, we're doing, um, uh, as of this recording, we're doing the live action films of Wes Anderson, which we contend is a franchise, um, despite the fact that it's really a filmography. Um, <laughs> is but, it shared, uh, shared universe? Uh, no, actually, uh, just a lot of shared actors, a lot of, a lot of the same actors and, and um, things like that. But uh, yeah, and then we're doing The Matrix. Then we are doing the Twilight franchise right now. Um, and uh, we already recorded that. And it was uh, a lot of fun doing, doing, uh, doing the Twilight movies. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot of, it's a, it's a, we, we cover a wide range of uh, genres and things on that show. And, it's, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So check that out. It's called Franchiseography. I've actually not seen the Twilight movies. Uh-huh. Um, I love movies, but... <laughs> I am not like a big vampire person sure. uh, unless it's what we do in the shadows, which I'll watch at any time. Uh, sure. But it, what do you recommend? I watch the, the twilight movies. I, you have to be in a particular mood for them. I think. Tell me about that mood. Yeah. So they are trash, um, and, <laughs> but it's, but and that's, that's why I haven't watched them. Yeah. They're trash, but it's fun trash. If you can like vibe with yeah. it, I guess. I mean, I've um, already admitted that I went to the theater to see cats. I tried yeah, to see so, it before they fixed it. That was my goal. So I rushed in to see it. Yeah. Did you? Or how I can't they, tell. Have they fixed it? I can't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, how can yeah. you tell? I looked that's for the true. like clues and I was like, well, it's not better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I, we had a lot of fun watching them. Um, I would recommend maybe watching them as those episodes are coming out. And that's, I think that's a good idea. Them. Maybe I'll do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so check that out. Uh, but uh, yeah, Franchiseography. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. Tough question. What do you think is the best movie you've covered in, in the series? In Franchiseography? Yes. Oh, boy. Um... It would be, I, you know, as far as like, if we're talking like absolute best movie, it would, it would be, uh, it's tough because they're all different genres, so it's hard to compare them. But like, it would be somewhere between the first Men in Black, the first Scream, and probably World Tenenbaums um, in terms of like best. Um, but uh, they've all been really fun to talk about. The X-Men series is really fun. Um, it gets pretty heavy at certain points because of the Brian Singer of it all. Um, but uh, uh, but it's it's still like fun to talk about just because the development of those movies are insane. Um, I love I love X Men. I wish all the movie like I wish a lot of the movies were better. Yeah. But like premise wise, and I I love X Men. Oh yeah, great. for sure. So yeah. yeah, check all those out. That was our Royal that was what we called Hot Mutant Summer. <laughs> <laughs> those are i mean those are some sexy mutants sure like, they like, really are like the x-men are not messing around with like making hot mutants yeah you know i feel like yeah. marvel's not as marvel's it, not as good at that it should be xxx men am i right <laughs> right right rebecca I'm romaine sure <laughs> yeah, um, it's got it, it has to <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and then next summer we'll have another like big lengthy fran- uh, franchiseography miniseries for uh, for next summer as well but that has not been announced yet i know what it is but 
So wow. we had it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Scott. Uh, come yeah. back anytime. Sure. This has been it for this week. Check out all those podcasts that Scott mentioned and many more on duelinggenre.com. And we will see you on Monday for minute 13 of Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit.